0: Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church, and it's good to be with you today for day 170, which is Leviticus chapter 20. And uh, it's a beautiful morning here on Lake Blue Ridge in North Georgia, and we're excited to look at Leviticus chapter 20 together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, which is living and active which imparts to us the words of eternal life as we see your Son through your word. Holy Spirit, come and apply your word to our hearts today that we might truly see Jesus and trust in him and grow in our faith in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Leviticus chapter 20. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the people of Israel, Any one of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourns in Israel who gives any of his children to Molech shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Molech to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name And if the people of the land do at all close their eyes to that man when he gives one of his children to Molech and do not put him to death, then I will set my face against that man and against his clan and will cut them off from among their people, him and all who follow him in whoring after Molech. If a person turns to mediums and necromancers whoring after them, I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. If a man lies with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed perversion. Their blood is upon them. If a man lies with a male, as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them." If a man takes a woman and her mother also, it is depravity. He and they shall be burned with fire, that there may be no depravity among you. If a man lies with an animal, he shall surely be put to death, and you shall kill the animal. If a woman approaches any animal and lies with it, you shall kill the woman and the animal. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man takes his sister a daughter of his father or a daughter of his mother, and sees her nakedness, and she sees his nakedness, it is a disgrace. They shall be cut off in the sight of the children of their people. He has uncovered his sister's nakedness, and he shall bear his iniquity. If a man lies with a woman during her menstrual period, and uncovers her nakedness, he has made naked her fountain, and she has uncovered the fountain of her blood, both of them shall be cut off from among their people. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister or your father's sister, for that is to make naked one's relative. They shall bear their iniquity. If a man lies with his uncle's wife, he has uncovered his uncle's nakedness. They shall bear their sin. They shall die childless. If a man takes his brother's wife, it is impurity. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them, That the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out, and you shall not walk in the customs of the nations that I am driving out before you, for they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the peoples. You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean and the unclean bird from the clean. You shall not make yourselves detestable by beast or by bird or by anything with which the ground crawls, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine." A man or a woman who is a medium or a necromancer shall surely be put to death. They shall be stoned with stones, their blood shall be upon them. That's Leviticus chapter 20 in the ESV. Well, where do we see Christ in a chapter like this? That's what we ask the Lord to do is to show us Christ that we might believe in him. Well again, as we've seen throughout Leviticus, Christ is the fulfillment of the law. He is the end of the law for those who believe. And so he is the king over his kingdom, and he calls us to be holy in him. Ceremonial things that were done in order to make God's people holy, like the distinction of clean and unclean animals and clean and unclean birds, these outward regulations, uh, dietary laws, and things like that, Christ has fulfilled in himself himself by making us clean through his sacrifice, resurrection, intercession for us. Because we are in Christ and he is in us, we are clean. That's what he said when he washed the feet of his disciples in John 13. He said, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And Jesus demonstrated his power to make people clean by cleansing every category of unclean person uh, throughout his earthly ministry. But the moral requirements of the law the things that god calls us to do as his holy people because they reflect his holy character they are they are matters of of righteousness of obedience to god's creation order and moral law those things are still to be upheld and yet within the church because we're not a kingdom on earth and we don't have the power of the sword That's given to civil government we have we have the sword of the spirit the word of god so we have a declarative and a ministerial power not a punitive judicial power such as the government has romans 13 first peter 2 make these kinds of distinctions clear as well as jesus own words uh, how his kingdom is not of this world if it were his followers would fight how he told peter to put the sword away so we no longer bear the sword but the governing authorities do and so we should keep clean of, we should keep separate from these things that are that are truly immoral, like gross idolatry and mediums and necromancers and all of these sexual uh, perversions. They should have nothing to do with the, God's people. But instead of imposing a death penalty, we're actually given a good example in 1 Corinthians of what to do. In 1 Corinthians, in the church in Corinth, there was a man who was violating one of these commandments. Verse 11 says, if a man lies with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall be put to death. Their blood is upon them. So there was a man in the church in Corinth who was sleeping with his father's wife, not his biological mother, of course, but his father's wife, his stepmom. And Paul said, expel the immoral brother. He should be cut off. He should be expelled from the church. But then in 2 Corinthians... He says, well, if the man has repented, he should be restored. So now we, we should exercise church discipline to where these kinds of gross sins that are a an affront to God's character and are strictly forbidden by Scripture, they, they should call for the removal from the fellowship. We call that excommunication. So they're, they're removed from the communion of the saints, from the fellowship of the saints. They no longer have access to the Lord's table. Their membership is is revoked. And then if they repent and if they seek the Lord, they can be restored. So you see, it's a much more gracious administration of the covenant under the new covenant age because there is forgiveness and there is restoration. Whereas under this old covenant age, it's pretty hard to come back from a death penalty. Although I should say, when we get to Deuteronomy, we'll see a verse that makes it pretty clear that almost all of the death penalties that are carried in the Mosaic Law had a ransom price with the single exception of what we would call capital murder or premeditated murder. So even though you have all of these death penalties for all of these sexual sins, there would be a ransom price set that if you could pay the ransom price or someone in your family could pay the ransom price, you would be delivered from death. Right. Then you would typically be indebted to the person who paid the ransom price. You might have to serve them as a servant for a period of time. So there's still a consequence, uh, but there is a ransom price for most of the death penalties under the Old Testament law. So let's take a quick look at some of these specifics here now that we've got that big picture view of how do we see Christ, the one who makes us holy and the one who administers his new covenant kingdom with spiritual discipline instead of uh, these physical penalties why is molek singled out you might wonder that in the opening verses here um, molek was a particularly vile god in that Molech demanded the sacrifice of your children of your newborn children and so Molech was well, statue would have arms out in front and the arms would be on fire would be like a you know a blazing arms of molek and you would actually lay your child into the blazing arms of Molech. So this is about killing your children. That's why he says um, anyone who, who gives any of his children to Molech shall surely be put to death. That's pretty reasonable there that we have a death penalty because you've taken a child, innocent child, who ultimately belongs to God, not to us, and you've put him there on the incandescent arms of Molech and had him burned up because you're trying to appease Moloch. So it's idolatry, which is bad enough, but then it's also infanticide, which is horribly bad. And frankly, whenever I read these verses, I think about the sad reality that there are certain pastors and church leaders in very liberal denominations who will actually go and bless abortion clinics. So they go to Planned Parenthood abortion clinics and they and they bless the abortion clinic, and they bless the staff for the good work that they do, and they even refer to it as a ministry. They're killing innocent, unborn babies. It's not a ministry. It's disgusting. So to me, that's the closest parallel to this Molech, is the idea that people who call themselves Christian ministers would go and do such a thing, and they should clearly be cut off from the communion of saints and the churches that they are in that don't exercise that kind of church discipline that don't immediately say you are no longer part of our church fellowship those churches are 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 being very very unfaithful and I think all true Christians should come out of those churches and not have anything to do with them because they they publicly sanction infanticide and don't discipline those who publicly sanction infanticide and that's pretty awful uh can't think of anything worse than that so the mediums and the necromancers it's repeated a couple times in this chapter that's going to you know the ones who commune with the dead or the ones who call up dead spirits you know we know that king saul did this the first king of israel he went to the the witch at endor the medium at endor to call up The prophet Samuel. And what's amazing about that story is God actually let Samuel come and speak, but it was a word of judgment that he spoke to Saul. We are to seek the Lord in prayer and we are to trust him for the future. We're not to go off trying to seek a word from any uh, dead person or any person who would consult the dead. Um, And I I think praying to saints, you know, praying to St. Michael or St. Peter or St. Christopher, or whatever, almost falls into this category because you're seeking the intervention in your life of someone who's dead and gone and with the Lord, and you're not coming to the Lord directly and trusting Him for His will. Verse 7 tells us really the heart of all of this, and that is, we are God's holy people the Lord is our God, and we are to keep his statutes and do them because he's the one who sanctifies us. Again, we keep them as they're fulfilled in Christ, but we are not to be like those who say, oh, this Old Testament law stuff, we can just set that aside because we have Jesus and that's all you need. Yes, all you need for salvation is Jesus, but if you've been saved in Jesus, you will want to honor the Lord with your life, and that will include honoring the Lord with your sexual life by having a wife that's appropriate and being faithful to her alone. And what's amazing to me is you can boil all these things down is that if you're married to a Christian woman that it's appropriate for you to be married to, and you're faithful to her alone, all of these things are taken care of, and that is clearly what we are called to be and to do as Christians. You may be called to singleness, in which case you need to ask God for the contented heart uh, to remain single, but celibate in our singleness, faithful in our marriage, takes care of all of those Sexual sins that we might, uh, you know, go astray into. But it's God's grace that keeps us there, always. God's grace that keeps us there. So there's a reminder here that God's moral standards don't just apply to God's people, they apply to everyone. Because He says in verse 22 You shall therefore keep all my statutes and my rules and do them that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out, and you shall not walk in the customs of the nations that I am driving out before you, for they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. God's moral law, this is one of several places in scripture where we see God's moral law, including these sexual standards, are universally binding on all people. And so part of our public witness is to uphold the standards of God and the Ten Commandments and to say this is what God calls all people everywhere, to live according to it's not just for God's people the moral law is for everyone who's made in God's image but we have been redeemed we have been set apart from God verse 24 I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the peoples right verse 25 you shall be holy to me for I the Lord am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine so while while the moral law is binding on all people it's written on our hearts The new covenant promise is that God takes what was on the tablet of stone in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, and he puts them on our hearts so that from the heart we want to obey these things. And so we should show that in our lives. That's how we honor Jesus as his people is by loving him and doing what he commands. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have made us your holy people through Jesus. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves holy. Jesus makes us holy. You make us holy through Jesus. We thank you that he is the full forgiveness of all of our sins and our complete cleanliness before you. But make us from the heart obedient to your moral law that we might reflect your righteous character as a light to the world and as those who have been set apart by your grace. May we live for your glory and not for our own. We pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for joining me for day... 170, Leviticus chapter 20. I hope you have a blessed day in the Lord.